Cool. None of that stuff is usable. None of that stuff is funny. Absolutely none of it. You can't just tell me to be. Yeah, I can't just. You can't just funny. be funny. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Um. Nicely done. Have you thought of anything funny to say? <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello there. Welcome to On the Beats, the pod. Shut up. The podcast that uncovers full frontal male nudity in cinema. My name is. Well, hello there. How do you do, <laughs> ladies and gents? Welcome to the show. Oh God Almighty! You're coming into this with coming a, in hot, a fervent enthusiasm, which I don't think. I gotta start off real high. Because I don't know where this is. This is going to go real down low. It's going to go real low. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's getting real low. Did I even finish my intro? You interrupted me so hard. (laughs) We like to talk about full frontal male nudity in cinema on this podcast. We do. Hosted by me, Laura, and also by you. Yes, I am also here. My name is Ryan. Ryan. Yes, it is. Great. (laughs) Like you you had to explain that there. Yes. Um, yeah. So today <laughs> is the first, I mean, I'm, I'm, have we done streaming peens before? No, this is something brand new that okay. we've decided to do. Stream peens. No. Hold on, let's have a wee think before we... Shoot ourselves in the foot. We oh bit. dear! Oh dear! Is there anything that we've done that was primarily just a streaming experience? Which is, I guess, like what this is. We're in this in this modern age of screen of of screaming. I wish it was screaming. Um, in this <laughs> modern age of streaming, where there's no prerequisite for a theatrical release, is there any film that we have done that is just say purely a uh, a Netflix, Hulu original, or uh, a, um, or in this case, an Amazon Studios production. Not that I'm aware of, but we have done over 50 movies, and if you can... I can't even think about what I did or watched yesterday. Yes. So if you want me to remember all these bad boys, I doubt it. Isn't Power of the Dog one of those? That didn't come out in the cinema. <gasps> Good job, yeah. Yeah, Power of the Dog. I'm looking on the list right now, just so I can yeah. maybe not fuck this up right away. Yeah, I think, here's the thing. I think, let's just let's just approach this. this... What about Creep 2? No. No, that, that came out in the cinema, did it not? I don't Creep know. Creep 2? I, th- I don't know. Either way, like, at well, least... We're starting something new, and we're starting with this one, which is the 2021 dark comedy erotic... Thriller. Why did I say dark comedy? It's dark not a dark comedy. comedy. How is this a dark comedy? Someone must have wrote that down wrong on the internet. This it, is an erotic thriller. I mean, the film's a joke. <laughs> There's funny stuff in it. <laughs> there is some fantastic line delivery, but it's really because there's. You carry on. I'm. Actually, I'm just. I'm not pleased Sorry. that we're covering this film it's not, anyway. It's not um, a comedy. It's not the voyeurs. We're talking about the voyeurs. Yeah, not to be mistaken for the countless other films that are also called voyeurs. There's also a, an Arthur Delaire short that's just called Voyeurs. 
but this is the voyeurs. Like, this is the definitive voyeuristic experience. Oh, boy. I guess. Um, so, uh, oh, this this film does have people that you will recognize, uh, especially Sydney Sweeney, who plays Pippa in the film, who you've seen in Euphoria, White Lotus, and she was in Under the Silver Lake, which I really liked, that film with Andrew Garfield. Is she the one who comes out of the pool? Is that that I thought part? she was there at the end. She was one of the ladies. She's one of the ladies at the end. Um, Under the Silver Lake is really hard to remember because it's. I don't think it's particularly great. I thought that film was very good. Yeah, right, okay. Uh, also starring Justice Smith as Thomas, who you might have seen in Detective Pikachu. Yep, he's he's actually one of the highlights. He's great of the film. Yeah, he, he like when I say there's some fantastic line delivery, he he makes it. He makes some of the lines actually quite funny. I don't think this is a particularly well written film, but at least he kind of does the best with what he's given. He's also in the Jurassic World movies and the new Dungeons and Dragons film. He is. Yeah, I was trying to kind of picture like where I remember seeing him, but. Um, Yes, he's, he yeah, he's, uh, he's good in this movie. I wish, I just wish, like... All right, well, before you wish all the things that were different about the film, let me finish. So, Ben Hardy is also in this film as Sebastian, or Seb. Seb. Fucking Seb. Seb. You Who might... the fuck goes around calling themselves Seb? Like, immediately I'm like, immediately I'm like... You're a piece of shit? He's gonna put fucking drugs in your drink. He's just gonna do something. He's like, I'm Seb. Spoiler I'm your alert. mate. I'm your med. I'm your mate, Seb. Spoiler alert. Well, yeah, I was right, wasn't I? He's a. He, he's, he's he fucking a... has the name of a date rapist. Uh, he was Archangel in X Men Apocalypse. Who cares? Who the fuck remembers? I'm that just film? trying to tell people where you might recognize oh, that them from. Movie is fucking awful. And uh, Natasha Lou Bordiso as Julia, who is maybe a fresher face, but she is in Guns Akimbo. Okay. So. That's, right, that's I just, fine. I, I, I well, said then, everyone else, so I thought right. I would give she's her in, a little she's bit. She's in another movie from the, 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 the 2010s, from the late 2010s. What film? Um, Guns Akimbo. Oh, okay. I thought you All had right. a different one. No, she's in she's in a, another movie from the... Tw- this is, I mean, this is, a, it's an incredibly young cast. Yeah. This is a... A young yeah. cast of good-looking folk. Okay. I mean, that's all it really part. has going for it, is that they're, they're all good-looking, because that's what... You know, in reality, that's what we all look like. Um, we're all hot. Yeah, we're also not young either. So, and I also do not want to compare myself to this group of individuals, these characters in this movie. And I put that like in a very commas for whatever reason. But um, yeah, we're going to... All right, hold well, I'm not even done. Okay, this film was directed by Matthew Moen, who also wrote the film. And before you dive into him, what? I think it's Michael Moen. It's not Is it? Matthew. Yeah, it's Michael, isn't it? I God, wrote do we down. just need to start over? Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe you need to start over. I mean, are you looking it up right now before I act yeah, a fool? Yeah, I've got it right here. It is Michael Mohan. Oh, I wrote Matthew. Right, okay. <laughs> I mean... Sorry. Yeah, I mean, whatever his name is. Um, he's a writer, Sorry, director... Sorry, Matthew Mohan, the director of this dark comedy. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've Just fire done, me, fire me right now. We've done such a fantastic job of researching this film, but there's also I not, did. there's also not a, there's not a ton of stuff to research with this. I have a lot, um, I have a lot of information here, but you're about to go into the director. I want to tell you the synopsis and tagline first. Okay. Jump rope in me. Just, I know I've made mistakes. You have made mistakes. I've made 
egregious mistakes. And we made the collective mistake of deciding we were going to cover this movie for our for our new our new kind of uh, uh, offset format thing that we called Stream Peens, so that we could cover like modern movies. It was a mistake. Like I don't know why I seem to think like we'll get we'll get the younger crowd into liking this podcast by covering films that they they maybe enjoy, and I'm like, oh. When this came out, it was exciting. It was exactly the type of movie I wanted to see, and quite a few of our friends have seen it as well. I, I, didn't, I don't know if they actually finished the film. It's very easy, easily accessible because it's an Amazon's original, effectively, an Amazon Studios film. This movie's um, not bad. Okay, synopsis. Yeah. Right. You could kind of imagine from the title of the film. When Pippa and Thomas move into their dream apartment, they notice that their windows look directly into the apartment opposite inviting them to witness the volatile relationship of the attractive couple across the street. But what starts to what starts as a simple curiosity turns into full-blown obsession with increasingly dangerous consequences. And uh, the tagline is, how far will you go for one more look? So, yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> On um, to you. <sighs> Tell me about Matthew. Okay, so... Uh, Michael Mohan <laughs> is a writer, director, and producer. Um, there's not a ton on him online that I've seen. There is obviously his IMDb. It's a new kid on the streets. There is also a Vimeo channel, but I don't think it, I don't know if it's him. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of artsy photos of him and behind the scenes stuff and like photos of him. Um, at festivals and stuff like that. So you know, if you wanna if you wanna have a little a little dive into his IMDb, you're likely to see that. But there's not there's not an awful lot else. Um, but really, we're gonna cover his films because um, it's all it's literally all the information that I have, um, and I'm just gonna cover them all. There might be other opportunities to maybe cover some of his other stuff, although the majority of the stuff here is short films. Um, we can do shorts, and he's been at some point. he's been making yeah yeah I mean okay we can maybe do a collection of shorts I don't know we uh, anyway we'll, short we'll, peens uh, <laughs> just kidding I'm just kidding I don't know like this is this is gonna be really hard to get through um but you know let's just let's just rattle this off and then let's just let's just get into this because I mean I have a I have I have a page that I'm looking at right now which is of my notes. And it looks like the rantings of like a madman. It like, is pretty intimidating. It and looks like a page from John Doe's, like one of John Doe's notebooks in Seven. Like that's what it looks like. Mine's full um, bullet points. Yours is all like tidy. as you well as usual. It's tidy. It's organized. It's on a laptop. I like to write things down into such a fashion that it almost becomes illegible. Um, but here we go. Um, so his filmography consists of Trek. It's a short from two thousand and three. La Detinsta, or it's, it's well, let's say I'll say it in the way that I would say it as an uneducated Scotsman. La Dentista, which is a short from two thousand and four. Initiation, which was a short from two thousand and six. Casual Encounters, which was the short from two thousand and seven. One Too Many Mornings from 2010. Now, because that didn't say it was a short, I'm assuming that was his first feature film. And I'm going to say, and just put it out there, that's maybe his debut feature film release. After that is X-Sex, uh, short from 2011. I really don't like the title to that. Save the Date from 2012, which I also think is a feature, because it doesn't have SH written next to it when I put it down. You didn't look? 
I wasn't really that interested. This wow. is How We Die, a short from 2013. Uh, Pink Grapefruit was a short from 2015. Um, oh, no, sorry. This is How We Die is a short from 2013. Pink Grapefruit is a short from 2015. <laughs> Everything Sucks, with a big exclamation mark, was a TV show from 2018. And The Voyeurs is obviously his most recent piece of work from 2021. Wow, this is going really well. I think we're allowed <laughs> to not have the level of polish. I'm not doing this again. I'm not repeating myself again. Um, me making a mistake with reading my notes does not go as far as you typing in Matthew Mohan as opposed <laughs> to Michael because that's that's inexcusable. I even did that the day before. I was you had all you had, early yeah. and getting all of my ducks in a row, getting my Matthews and Michaels. You'll be you'll be on yeah. Honestly, you had all the time in the world. I'm gonna. To I probably wrote it 15 times. It's gonna be a nightmare. Okay, so to anybody listening, if she does say Matthew, it means we're talking about Michael. Um, oh wait, I have a Michael down here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh my goodness gracious! Oh God, just put um, me down. Just yeah, put here's me the thing. Down. Like, uh, I don't expect anyone to take our our opinions seriously because oh, I of expect the way them to take it fully seriously because of the way that we conduct ourselves on a <laughs> on a day to day basis. Um, but. I just guess, having a like, good time. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, we've covered quite a lot of good films in a row, though. So we were bound to hit upon a doozy at some point. You keep saying that, but then we're back in our classic seats where I enjoy something more than you. But that's because this kind of shit is made for me. You if this guy this... called me up and said, what do you want? And then he, he pooped this out. I'd be like, great, that's fine. Yeah, but you it's did. Not five you refer, stars. You referred to this as straight trash. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet I like trash. You do. You do. I think there's some very lofty claims that the filmmaker is making on, like, certainly about the revival or like his his trying of revival, like the revivalist idea of uh, bringing back the erotic thriller. I have one full page that I could dive into before we even get into the film about how this kind of came to be and Michael's obsession with erotic thrillers and the decline and, and potential revival of erotic thrillers. So I just can't ever, I'm going to talk about it at some point today. Yeah, I think, well, you know what, get into that and then I can give my 10 cents on it and then we can kind of get into the meat and bones of, you know, what, what, what this is. <laughs> so <Great>. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so Jennifer Salke, who's the head of Amazon Studios, was apparently chatting with Nicole Kidman, and they were having a conversation about why there weren't erotic thrillers being made anymore. So this is around the same time that Michael Moen was going around. He had the voyeurs on spec, shopping that bad boy around. He said he would go in and talk about my passion for erotic thrillers and how it doesn't make sense that these movies stopped existing. And he had written a 93-page erotic thriller movie journal. And he's just walking around with this stuff in a bag, right? So they ended up meeting. She wanted an erotic thriller. He had this bad boy in his pocket. So this film got fast-tracked. So in terms of when I think, and I've kind of tried to research it a little bit more, like why the erotic thriller genre started to decline 
especially in the mainstream, because you get them all the time, but they start to become more like lifetime dramas or streaming films or mid-tier budget type of movies, right? Um, well, they stopped being profitable at the box office. Right, they weren't these big, big bad boys no, anymore. That's, that's not because they weren't making any money, it's because they weren't making bank-like Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct did. And they those... were effectively phenomenons that came out in the in the well, it's like the early nineties. So yeah, like late eighties, mid eighties, early nineties. But then yeah. around the mid nineties, it did start to decline. So you had like box office bombs, Jade, unfortunately, which I think is awesome. Actually, Showgirls, stuff like that. Like it just started to not. Yeah, and you're right, not be very profitable. But then it was weird because in two thousand and two, Adrian Lynn made Unfaithful. Which was massively successful. Yeah. And Diane Lane was nominated for an Academy Award. It's only one film out of a seat. Because Showgirls was incredibly expensive. Yeah. And it's... Let's not beat around the bush. Like, you can have as much fun watching that movie as you like. It is a bad movie. But it's so fun. It's such an incredibly saying, fun film say, to yeah, watch. But I'm not saying that like it it's is not intriguing. fun. It is an intri- it is a product of a time and you're like your mind's slightly blown while you're watching it, but objectively, let's be serious, it's not a good it's not a good movie. But that doesn't mean that I don't know, like Unfaithful's also trash. It's pure trash as well. I mean, so let but me, it's uh, but it's super enjoyable to watch and, me, and engaging. I mean, let me put something out there: the erotic thriller, just by virtue of what it is, is is uh, inherently trash, and they always are, they always will be. But the thing is, the reason why certain films of that type were successful is they are handled with at least a modicum of class. Like, Basic Instinct is an interesting story from start to finish, and it's handled incredibly well by Verhoeven with some really good performances in it. And Fatal Attraction is just an incredibly gripping thriller. Like, it's just a very good film. And it has some very interesting stuff. And again, a great central performance by Michael Douglas, who's obviously at this point almost getting typecast in these sorts of roles. Hell yeah. But they're also some of the best roles that he's ever taken up. And I would even go as far as to say, like, uh, the rest of obviously Adrian Lynn's stuff, Nine and a Half Weeks is like, okay, take it with what you will. Yeah. Um, But certainly uh, Indecent Proposal is another movie, which I also think has some really good performances in it. At least that film as well starts a conversation. Like, would you sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars? Probably. Well, you're asking me right now? Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, for a million dollars, it would set me up for life. I mean, it would be a story to tell. Yeah. You know, I would I would definitely tell that story on the podcast, like, beat for beat. Like, Is it how that came free? to be. Is, Is it, it tax under free? the table? I mean, like, like is just... it a full million or is it getting taxed? I mean, at that point, I don't think the money matters. I think you have the money, but, like, you're, like asking me deep and quite probing questions about like what was it like to have sex with robert redford was he tender i mean i could only assume that i kind of let him lead the way (laughs) but um well you have even new ones that are coming out now that are just being pooped out into the streaming system like deep water for example 
which was Adrian Lin's first film since Unfaithful. Which isn't a bad film per se, but it's not of the it's not of the quality of his previous stuff. Even like Unfaithful, I think, is like is like pretty much like straight down the line, straight down the middle. But there's some really interesting stuff in that film. I think that film is great. I think if it had had maybe a little, it was a smaller budget. It was like forty nine million. You're probably just paying Ben Affleck and Anna Armas for the yeah. most part, but it was set to be uh, released in the theater. Got pulled from the theater and then just dumped out onto Hulu, so it didn't get the kind of reception that it probably deserved. The theatrical landscape, like as it sits and stands right now, is incredibly fraught with a variety of of pratfalls, um, and I mean a lot of. A lot of what you see in the cinema, I'm not incredibly, like, drawn to. Like, we're seeing a pattern of, you know, we have, like, superhero movies that are getting pulled out, and they're obviously, you know, they are they are designed in their nature to be the biggest films of all time. Right. And any film that follows in the, in the wake of those sorts of films has to be of the same sort of ilk. Like there's no kind of like they have to be special effects heavy. They have to, they have to feel in some sort of way um, muted and not controversial in the least. Like they have to feel like they're they're almost like improperly balanced in terms of like their moral and their bias and like I would even go that far as to say like their racial balance and their their acute kind of sense of. Um, of being acutely aware of just being incredibly like mediocre just to <laughs> just as just to suit everybody. Well, you have to be diluted in order to please everybody at least a little bit. So you're when you have films like this, this isn't for everybody. This isn't the you know like when I was younger and you're parents rent a movie and you're not allowed to watch it right it's not we don't have those movies anymore like these are for adults it's adults night this is an adults time at the theater there's no yeah there's no middle road like middle range kind of budgeted film anymore everything's for everybody it seems like when it goes into the theater these days unless you have like a horror film and you've if you've definitely got a film that's like an incredibly low budget, you're lucky to even. I mean, I thought I think about the things that we see at like the film festival and stuff when that comes to town. That's maybe the only time you ever see that film. The idea of that being on a streaming platform at some point, I mean, it's just going to be devoured in a sea of other stuff that effectively is built for those streaming platforms, and that is always their final port of call. And nine times out of ten, that stuff isn't particularly good. That's why it's on the streaming platform. And because of the open gate policy of a lot of these streaming platforms, you kind of just find that's where that stuff goes. Um, And certainly, you know, you're not going to get an erotic thriller at this point anyway, competing with, say, the likes of, you know, Fast 10, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible 7, I think it is. Because they're not going to have a budget of almost over 250 to $500 million. There is no way that's ever going to happen. uh, As an example, something that's a little, maybe a bit of an out, definitely a bit of an outlier is recently I went and saw Sanctuary at the theater. And as soon as it came out, I think Neon put that out, which is kind of your psychosexual, erotic type thriller, cat and mouse type of 
crazy shit. That's neon's very, like bread and butter anyway. Which is so I'm so down, yeah. super super least, down, and I was yeah. excited to be able to go see that in the theater. But I made sure I'm gonna go see this the, like the weekend it comes out because that bad boy is gone. They're gone so fast, yes. But you don't get the chance to, like, enjoy that in the theater. I loved it. Uh, there was a guy snoring down in the front row. It was amazing. Like, it, I had a great time. Is I didn't fall yeah. asleep. I thought it was thrilling. It was, like, thrilling. Thrilling. <laughs> um, it was, like, when we went to go see Master Gardener. Like, that was the only week it was available in a cinema that we had to drive at least 30 minutes to yeah. get to... Um, to go see a movie. And, I mean, that film's, that film's fine. I'll drive anywhere um, for Paul. I guess so. That film's fine. Um, but you can you can tell why something like that is not going to get the level of coverage that, say, a lot of other modern films get. And I mean, I like I like that we use words like a, you know, like a, a dilution, um, like mediocrity. Because um, it's like, not like some of these thing, things aren't exciting. You know, I do want to go see Mission Impossible, even though Tom Cruise is a super weirdo. Um, I'm super excited to see Indiana Jones, obviously, not just because I'm an archaeologist, but because it's freaking Indiana Jones. Oh, let's grow in a little bit at that one, listeners. Jeez. <laughs> I'm an archaeologist. Uh, oh, just so you're aware, I'm a scientist. Did you know that I'm a scientist? Yeah. Fucking give me a break. <laughs> He's like the worst archaeologist ever. Is she in this passive-aggressive, yeah, it's your passive-aggressive nonsense where it's just like, well, Ryan, you only have a film degree. Well, I'm actually a scientist. I'm a scientist and yeah. a film lover. If you that told, means like, if you told the listeners exactly what you do on a day to day basis, it's like, yeah, you're not looking for the fucking arc. Like, that's not the case. And that's not to say that Indiana Jones did a fantastic job either. No, I'm not like an antiquarian. I'm not going out there back in the, you know, stealing shit from Pompeii <laughs> with my old rich friends. Like, yeah, that's true. Come on. Yeah, you're not the, you're not like the London Museum. Um, <laughs> yeah, this still, is mine. This belongs holding. in a museum, but not in your country, in their country. Yes. Can you ha- can we have it back? Absolutely uh, not. No, we have to teach all of the white folks in our country about your culture. So, <laughs> no, this is ours now. You did steal it um, from us. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, go fuck yourself. We are really dodging talking about this. Okay, film. I'm ready. Like we really are. <laughs> But um... I have a lot of things. Okay, I'm going to start. Ready? Okay. <laughs> start talking about this movie. So the idea for this film initially was kind of birthed when Moen was visiting a friend who had just moved into a loft in downtown LA. And I guess he looked out of the window and across the street, there was a couple wandering around totally naked. And he says to his friend, like, do you know that they're naked? And he says, yeah, they're naked all the time. We just all coexist here. And his friend had these binoculars and said, yeah, you'd want to take a look. And he's like, no, said he wanted to, but he shouldn't. So that's kind of where this came about, which I, I totally understand. Um, they ended up filming it in Montreal just because they couldn't find a loft space large enough that would make sense in LA. Because as you could tell, most of the other characters like Sebastian and Julia didn't have cameras inside their loft. They were filmed from the exterior, so they didn't have a that kind of camera directly in front of them to like act to, right? You know, so they were kind of acting alone, which was which was awkward for them. Right. Um, let's see, what else do I have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can talk about the voyeurs. I mean, we're going to talk about it anyway. Like, it's 
We've seen it in a few different films. You know, Shame had a, a moment where they're having sex the, in that against the window in that tall building and stuff. And Shame's shame slightly. Shame's no, slightly shame's different. incredibly different. I mean, I'm you, trying to make connections do here. Do you think Michael Mohan ever saw Rear Window? Yes, he did. He said <laughs> that obviously other erotic thrillers inspired the film, but also Rear Window, as well as wow. Coppola's The Conversation, Blow Up, and Clue. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's, uh, he yeah. knows things. He has an, a 93-page erotic thriller journal. Which is friend. also, also the minute you bring that up, I'm just like... I want to like, read that journal. That's weird as fuck. I don't think it's weird. It's weird. This no, is a dude strange. after my own heart, I think, until I find out he's done something if weird. If he knew this much about erotic thrillers, why the fuck did he make one so bad? I it's don't not understand. That bad. It's a terrible film. It is it's not It's a terrible that bad. film with... with it is an assault on the senses. It's like is on, it, like on your eyeballs. It's on. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so we yeah we're gonna yeah we're gonna go through it. But you know what? Like <sighs> the film starts with this. Uh, there's a, this this nice shot where uh, it kind of tracks in. You look into a window and Sweeney's changing and she like closes the curtains quickly. She's like someone's looking at me. And then the title comes up, and then there's this title sequence, which is just a whole bunch of like macro shots of uh, eyes and stuff. Because obviously, it's really nice. It's really cool looking. The stuff looks cool. It's just like, like here's the thing. Like, could you have a more kind of like trite motif for a movie that's effectively about watching people, where it's like, well, what would this character be? It's like, oh, an optometrist. What do they Op- do? They... Ophthalmologist. Oh, either way, an eye we surgeon. We spent a lot of time researching how much they would make in order to... Because we were bored. <laughs> in order to afford that loft. Yeah, we were bored. Um, yeah, no, because the loft... Ophthalmologists make like $300,000 a year, and yeah. an optometrist makes about a hundred grand. Yeah, so they're doing fine. I mean, it's just a, it's just a studio apartment that they're in. And it's they're, a massive loft. It's a huge studio apartment. Um, and it, you know, it is, it, is, it, is, it is nice. It's like the nicest thing. Like, the, the visuals in the film, like, the one thing I will say is, like, the visuals in the film, the film does look nice. It's not distinctive from, say, other films but it's it's again i feel like it's just another example of those of those types of films where it's like um the overabundance of shots and cutting those shots together like completely negates the sense of like blocking and and like actors in a scene and stuff like that i don't really enjoy it that much but anyway let's enough of that but there's a whole bunch of shots of eyes at the beginning of the movie to, I guess, some uh, d- modern music. Like, this is a film Isn't that it is... Isn't Eyes Without a Face? It's definitely a film from the 2020s. Let's put it that way. Um, the mu- Yeah, the music choices I'm not a massive fan of. And, um, and but... once again, Laura's on the other side of the fence going, I kind of like the music. Of course. Well, you would do because you love to be contrarian. Yeah. One of like one of the things that I hated and I wish it I just I, I the minute the film started was that there's a shot on an eye and there's an eye transition and it transitions into what is like this dome in the city as if it's like this this like seamless thing and I look at it and I'm like a part of my chest like starting to tighten. And I started to feel all cringy. It's so jarring. And I was like, I'm like, I hope this isn't 
I hope this isn't the rest of the movie. Well, how did you feel about the transition and the cuts from the eye to the eggs, which is like a whole Unshayan Andalou like type of vibe? Like, and it happens three times at least. Yeah, because it's it's again, it's an incredibly tired. I mean, it's just foreshadowing to what happens at the end of the movie. Yes. Which again is like when you get there, you're like you're yeah. It's like that that meme of Jackie Chan where he's just like my head is full of fuck like by the time you get there it just you're like you're like what what is this this is if you don't have an issue with stereotypical depictions of members of the gen z generation um then this movie is probably for you i don't know man i think about i put myself in these people's shoes if we are living in a loft apartment and there's people in a full bone zone, 90% of the time across the way, I'm I'm like, it probably would escalate in a similar way. It would stop at a certain point, obviously. We're not going to become obsessed with these people. It's not going to go to the extremes that this film does. But there is a point where I'm like, I kind of am with them. You start, you. it's like, oh, no, no, we shouldn't look. Oh, maybe we should look just a little. But maybe they kind of want us to look because all the windows are, like, wide open. Let's get binoculars, etc. I could see that being a thing. To a point where then I would just get curtains because I'm annoyed that these people won't stop fucking. So, if anyone out there has listened to the Conan the Barbarian commentary with obviously Arnold and John Milius and stuff like that, you will find that Arnold basically comments on exactly what is happening within the film itself. Whereas like, I pull out my sword, I smash him in the head and you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's great. It's one of the most brilliant pieces of, commentary on a film other than i think ben affleck's on armageddon um the which zardoz is, commentary is also very good yes but i will say there is never a moment of silence in this film it is always there's every single moment is like bombarded with like with like it's like an auditory assault and here's the thing, and this is the kicker, and this is why I was just like, sometimes dialogue should be sparing, because they're literally looking at this at this couple across the way, and it's there's a camera flash, and there's a model, and the guy's holding the camera, and Justice goes, is he a photographer? <laughs> yeah, there's a few moments where you go, I, I can see that. What? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's just his character, and I'll chalk it up to that. But the thing is, it happens all the time. I know, you know, and you're like, you're like, and this is where this is where I start to see the differences between like modern filmmaking and let's say filmmaking that isn't from the twenty twenties. Is that at least films that have come before understood that it was a visual medium, and then you don't have to comment on everything that's going on because then it starts it's it becomes over stimulating and that's where i end up being like well is this a piece of art or is this a piece of content where it's kind of just like you know you feel like you're just kind of getting too much all at all at once like there's no sense of balance within it and that's why i kind of bring that up is that 
you know, there are films that have done this before, and I talked about Rear Window. There's a real sense of delicacy within even, like, there are moments in Rear Window that feel so much more intimate because there's, like, a deafening silence around it. Yeah. Like, it feels weird when James Stewart can look outside of his window and he can see a woman dressing or undressing in a window, and you're like, he's not supposed to be doing that. With this, there's, like, uh, I guess there's, like, you know, there's an a, there's a like a relatability to being like, well, you know, we've all had moments where we're like we've caught something in a window that we were never meant to see because there's an expectation of privacy within your own home. Yes. But it kind of starts to be skewed and then kind of put on its head like the longer this goes on where like there's a sense of logic that's completely lost from just having a sense of curiosity that's, you know, going on in this particular situation, which then kind of changes to an obsession. But then it's also kind of like this weird comment on, like, because of the world that we live in and because of the expectation of this particular, like, generation of people, right? Let's say generation of young people, inverted commas, is that we live in an age where there is no privacy because everyone's continually putting themselves out there. And there's that message that's put out in this film as much as it's kind of clouded by the the countless twists and turns that kind of like... I mean, honestly, I felt like Reagan in The Exorcist. I thought my head was going to turn all the way around. It was it was a twist on twist on twist. And it's too much situation. It's way too much. There's one twist that could have been taken out oh, um, at least. At least, at least. And it's like, you know, I tend to do this thing where like I'm watching a movie and I start to guess what's going to happen. I did like that because you were very wrong. I was wrong. Every but then time. when it when stuff did start to happen, that's when I start shouting at the TV. Sensory overload for me, I must say. It's a little bit... Because they don't stop talking in the film, and then I got you over here yelling about how they don't stop talking. They won't shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) But the thing is, it's like, it's it, it, it happens so much that, like, obviously things you're meant to listen to, you don't catch. And you're like, well, was I supposed to... Was that supposed to be important? Because 90% of the dialogue means nothing like it means absolutely nothing except for this one particular moment when the voyeurism is escalating to a point where they need to know more both of them as a couple uh pippa and thomas want to know more they've got the visuals they have the uh you know they've got the binoculars but they want to hear what's going on and this is also affecting their sexual relationship to a point where it's turning into their own personal kink is to watch them and almost, in a way, kind of almost recreate what they're doing on that side. You know, and then Pippa's trying to uh, match up orgasms with with that situation, but it's it's not working uh, as well. So this is just something that is, is really affecting their whole life and their relationship. But together at this point, they still want to know more. And so... As you're talking about, there's a lot of information that's being said yeah. that you're not catching some of it. I think you you I don't you were either talking over it, but it was this really important plot point in terms of this insane thing that they tried to do, which was like a laser detection sound reflection 
that they were just talking about casually at brunch with a couple of friends. So, like, to go back to your previous point there, this is, that is the most interesting part, is where the voyeurism is this, this sexual thing, as opposed to just being, like, a, like a curiosity. Because that's, I'm down with that, because if it had just stopped there... If they're like, oh, this is our kind of a, a thing we didn't know that we were into is is like kind of getting off on seeing other people, uh, you know, enjoying their pleasures from across the way. I don't really see anything necessarily too wrong in that, in a way. I don't, no, I don't. That is something that I would have... I would have understood and I would have gotten behind... If it had stopped. If it had... Yeah, but, the but then thing, that's not the movie, you know. So yeah, that's not the movie. I would have like I would have gotten behind it, and I would have understood it where it's kind of like, you know, she's not getting the sexual gratification from her partner, even with this new introduction, and she's like obsessed with this man, and then she's trying to insert herself into this man's life after realizing that, like, well, he's a cheat. He like he's cheating on his wife, actively cheating on his wife. Yeah. And she'll like pretend to be someone else to insert herself into that into that situation so that she can get the sexual gratification out of it. Which again, this is not what happens in the movie. It's something that I was as we were, you know, we're talking about it now, would have made the film slightly more interesting. But there is also kind of nonsensical things, and we'll get back to like what you were saying there in a second about the fucking lasers. Right. Um, but there's a moment where they get she buys binoculars so she can get a clearer look of what's going on. And I'm gonna be 100% fucking honest: the binoculars do not help in the fucking slightest. It is literally just there so they can do a targets esque uh, sniper scope thing where you see things a little bit more clearly in a medium close-up. Yeah. When you saw everything perfectly fine from the distance of which probably is less than, say, fucking, what, 20 feet? Well, in terms of maybe their voyeuristic sexy kink that they're trying to get down with, maybe she needs a little bit more detail. She needs to see a little bit more. She needs to see it yeah, go in. A little in. closer. Yeah, she, she wants to see, see it, it go yeah, in. She wants to see it go in. <laughs> but, like, there's, there's, like, this weird line that she says where she goes, well, they know that we can see them, so why would we not be looking at them with the binoculars? Right. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Yeah. It's and there's, it's like... A bit much. It's this nonsensical thing where you're like, you know, where the dialogue starts to pull you out a wee bit and you're like well why the fuck did you say that and second of all like what the fuck does that mean and it's like well i would have a little bit more respect for the situation if it was as black and white as wow i actually find myself getting turned on by looking at other people have sex from across the way which isn't really like this isn't you know it's kind of like this weird gray area anyway lasers <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it, in terms of the binoculars and they want us to look, it's it's kind of a way of saying they're asking for it, which is pretty gross. Lasers. Yeah, lasers. So I did some research on this laser thing. <laughs> yes. As I would. Perfect. So a laser microphone is what they're trying to reenact, where you shoot a laser in and in their way of explaining it it has to bounce off of something like a mirror bounce back and then it's like the vibrations that are moving through 
create the sound, and it's not as simple as they make it sound, um, or as they explain it. And in ways, it's actually more simple, but I think you need a lot more equipment to, to do it, but it doesn't matter. So uh, what it does is it uses a laser to detect sound vibrations in a distant object, and you can use a window or a picture in a room to do this. But in reality, a laser microphone doesn't need a mirror. It reflects off of like the front of glass, which is the advantage of a laser microphone. So it doesn't require access to a room to listen to it. Like you don't have to plant a bug. Um, and in this movie, passing the laser through the window in both directions would actually probably cancel out any information that the sound wave would give you. Okay. Um, and yes, uh, this particular... <laughs> sort of <laughs> technology was developed by Leon Theremin in the Soviet Union around 1947 uh, when he developed and used the Buren eavesdropping system. Creator if, of the theremin. Creator of the theremin, which is yeah. one of the first electronic music instruments. Yep. Yep. It was used. <laughs> yeah. It was used quite notably by David Bowie. Um, for the beginning thought, of uh, Space Oddity. Whoever thought we'd get there. Who knows? Um, That's what I'm here for. It's... <laughs> it's... Um, it, it works. I like how they do it. It's... I will suspend my reality and belief for, like, the stupidest shit, and I just want to get into it. I, I know it's dumb, but I'm like, yeah, sure, fucking point a laser at that thing and listen to their conversations. It's interesting. But the thing that they have to do in order to make it work is they have to, oh gosh, it's so ridiculous, but I loved it. Um, they noticed that they're having like a Halloween party across the way. Yeah. So then they, I'm just like thinking concoct of, a plan. I'm in, just thinking of tiny... ways of like how we can improve the film. Like, this is, like, the moments where I'm being quiet, I'm thinking of ways in which the film should have been, should have been written. Well, they go in and they dress both like the Hamburglar. <laughs> Stupid. Who the fuck also has their, like, you dress both up as the fucking Hamburglar? Yeah. Like, one of, sexy like, Hamburglar. It was obvious they had to wear masks because they didn't want them potentially being recognized, right? But, like, how many other... F I mean, what, did they only have the licensing for the fucking Hamburglar? Like, they couldn't pick, I don't know, fucking Zorro or any of the number of other countless fucking band or a fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? It just, it just looks stupid. Also, she looked she looked dumb as the Hamburglar. Like, Justin, no, Justice looked better. Like, I don't know what it was, but, yeah, like... I thought they both looked good. It's like, I don't know. It she was, had that little wig on. I yeah, liked it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The sexy hamburglers. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's rubbish. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> the the part that cracked me up, which is just, it's incredibly stupid. But they made names for them, right? Because they don't know who these people are. They don't know their names, so they they named them Brent hate this. and Margot because like she totally looks like a Margot. And then when they go to the Halloween party, she's actually dressed like Margot from the Royal Tenenbaums, which, of course, as the twisty, twisty turnies, you know, we find out why she ended up doing that, you know, because, well, whatever. Well, they're, yeah, they're listening in, obviously, to to what they're doing. This is a reciprocal, it's, a reciprocal creep once that's we, happening. Yeah, once we get, like, this... We'll, we'll yeah. break it down later, but, like, yeah, she yeah, knows, really, they know yeah, everything. I don't really give a fuck, honestly, yeah. So, 
it's just that little moment that kind of made me laugh, which in the moment when you're watching and you don't know what's going on, you're like, how the hell did that happen? Well, you're Margot all... Tenenbaum. Uh, yeah. Well, again, it's like it's like this over obsession with Wes Anderson as well that we're seeing now that I'm like, I'm like, at least it's one of the good ones. At least, well, it's one of the only good ones. That's the thing. That's the joke. Is that there's only one. Here's no, a like. Here's true. the thing, and like this is where I feel like the story itself falls relatively flat for me. Is that like I can't, I don't understand or find any sort of justification for the amount of interest that they have in this couple. Because here's the thing, it really boils down to this. It is a photographer who, behind his wife's back, and we see him fuck his wife, right? And we know it's his wife, or at least there's some allusion to the fact that it's his wife, right? Although, how would they know? I'm kind of still trying to figure that They were trying to, to figure that out. They were trying to figure it out earlier. They're like, it could be this, could be that, or whatever. But I think they end up finding that out through lasers. Okay, so either way, either <laughs> that sounds insane. Either way, you're you're kind of figuring it out with them, and you're also kind of like, I would have gave up well before this moment, because the interest in it is effectively it's a photographer who has a wife, and he's having sex with his models behind his wife's back. So at the very, 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 very worst, he's an adulterer. At the very, 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 very worst. Yeah. And that is it. Yes. End of. And the pattern just kind of is this cyclical thing. It keeps on going. And the obsession comes from just trying to out this man to his wife. Well, because it, it levels up at a point as well because the wife ends up going to Pippa's office where she works and gets an eye exam and then the wife is trying to start this friendship and relationship with Pippa which is super awkward so then because of this friendship that's evolving between the two of them she feels that she has a duty to inform her yeah that her husband's doing a cheat so yeah it's um even though it's none of her business which her which Thomas, her boyfriend, tells her a million times, this is none of your business. Yeah. You know, if you're going to keep creeping and doing this, because what happens kind of around this moment is the their relationship starts separating, where Thomas isn't interested anymore in watching it because he's a normal human being who has other things to deal with in his life. Yeah. And Pippa is just obsessing over this window like he would come home she's like got her binoculars sitting in the corner and then she'll like put her binoculars down and pretend she was on her phone and you know she's just can't get enough it's it's just a kind of um it's a weird it's a weird ass thing like the escalation of her because i just i don't i just don't believe it i don't believe there's that level of interest there and it's a real kind of detriment to the the writing of the film that I'm just like I don't I don't fully understand why she's still as interested as she is. I think it's because that dude can pork, man. I think she's obsessed with the pork. Yeah, which is why you kind of think like if it's going to be this erotic thriller because this film's not erotic. Like it doesn't feel sexy. There's some moments that are all right. I mean, it doesn't to me feel sexy 
So there's parts of me that are like, <laughs> there are parts of me because I this mean, isn't your kink, and that's well, okay. Voyeurism, in you know, inherently is is a kink, and it is derived from obviously the sexual pleasure of watching people, right, or mm-hmm. deriving a sexual interest in watching people, and it's like there seems to be kind of like a crucial misstep in the in the pathing of this character that to me doesn't really make a lot of sense it does it gets there like eventually but i kind of would have preferred it told slightly differently and this film's almost 2 hours long it is way too long but it's also like it just doesn't it just yeah like i feel like her interest in it is a li- like it's a little bit it's just a little bit backwards like she's focusing on the wrong thing like she's wanting yeah, it's she's, like um, she's like wanting to out the man but then it's later revealed that she just she wants to have sex with him which isn't the case when you watch the film it doesn't make any sense it doesn't well i think it little by little cuz she starts envisioning herself in their lives so you know when his wife is gone she sees her self in the room where he's having like threesomes and she's just, she's just putting herself in the situation, even though she's not involved at all. She's like having these fantasies about it, but yeah, it kind of seems for a moment that she just wants to help the the wife, but it's, that's not really the case. It's a real, it's like a backwards. It's a real, yeah. It's a real kind of weird conflict in the story where, yeah, we just, you know what, like, if it was just a little simpler, the film would be so much better. Because don't so they talk about it? Better. Don't Thomas and Pippa talk about it at some point where she's like, wouldn't you want to know? And he's like, no, I wouldn't want to know. No. If they're doing a cheat. No. Honestly, I wouldn't want to know either. Who gives a fuck? Like, who genuinely cares? I'd be if like, you're... let me keep living my life. Like, that is way too much trouble. Yeah, it's also like... If like, you're going to do a cheat, keep it, like, really secret. And also, Not you, interested. you, like, someone deciding they want to be this grass, right, is not sexy. Like, no. it does, it's not in, it, like, it's not in, it's not in any of the level of interest I have in a sexy thriller. I don't care. I don't give a flying I just want to keep watching it, you know? Like, why interrupt all the sexiness? You know that you're you're getting all this free, sexy visual I'm content. Going to, I'm going to tell on him. I'm going to. I don't I'm think going he should do him. this. Your wife, you're cheating on your wife. And then he, they, she does the oh, dumbest thing. Dumbbag. She does the dumbest thing where she somehow wires, wirelessly connects to their printer and is just <laughs> typing up messages and printing them off. <laughs> To their printer. You know that's been a prank at some point, and someone's done that, and they're like, I can see you. I saw you doing a poo. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, something's definitely happened. It's, uh, yeah, like, when all this stuff starts, because like, the thing is, like, all, this things are, all these things are happening, and, like, you know, stuff will come to head and stuff. There's also a reference to Casablanca. Do you remember the Casablanca reference that they do in the movie when she comes into the eye clinic? Do you remember no, that? No, 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 tell me. So, basically... I hate it because like Sweeney starts the sentence and then Justice finishes it and I hate it and it goes uh, of all the eye clinics in the world and he goes she walks into mine (laughs) oh right and I'm like oh 
fuck off. Like genuinely. And not even that. Like, I don't I don't hate it. It's a, well in Casablanca it makes sense, right? Fucking Rick's tavern, he does not expect to see his ex lover in his particular gin joint in that particular part of the world, obviously, in oh Morocco, God. right? But here, obviously, if the woman's living in Montreal, where's she gonna go to it's get a her big city. to get her eyes tested? Aye, the Lopti. aye, but the line is in the world. It's not like she's going to fucking Hong Kong to go get her fucking eyes tested and trying to figure it out that way. Jesus Christ! And I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's another one of those throwaway lines where you just kind of pulled out a little bit and you're like, "What? What the fuck does that mean?" I liked it. Fine. Anyway, the poor woman she pulls a fucking used condom out of the trash and um, you know, uh, there's a massive gap in the story that I've got written down here because I think I just I lost I lost a lot of my interest. Would you like me to? Fill in the gap. Fill no. in the gap, just no. like a. No, no, they get. A, they Sebastian get, she fills pulls, in the gaps. She pulls. No, she pulls a condom out of the trash, and the next thing we know is um, uh, the 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 woman they've been spying on. She's dead. She's done a silly suicide. She's done a silly old suicide. She's done a silly old suicide, and uh, the, the Sweeney and Justice, their relationship is over. Yeah, that it's I over. hated so much because I am leaving. We are done. He's like. You did this. You've you killed her. Much. You killed her. So now I'm leaving. I'm like, you're not like, imagine how she feels if she does feel responsible for this, for this silly suicide. Like, because she did involve herself in their lives when, they, when she shouldn't have. She but shouldn't for have her boyfriend, it, no. her long-term boyfriend, lover, uh, and live-in partner is just like, go fuck yourself. I'm leaving because you are doing this thing. I mean, it should have been a longer conversation, but we did need this to happen so that we could get to the, well, I, I do want to talk about the scene before we get to the penis scene. The bar scene? The bar scene. The only Ugh. thing I want to talk about the bar scene is because... The drink? The drink, yeah, oh, because okay. I thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, you're going to need a drink if you're watching this movie. Certainly absolutely. if you're watching it with uh, with a level of, uh, of interest that I had. Um, so she sees that, I think she sees that he goes to this bar... And what's it called again? Bar le Royale. Bar le Royale. So she goes into yeah. this bar. The, the, the Royal Bar for the anybody. Bar. Yeah. Because obviously. Yeah. Anyway, he, he comes over. It's, it's crazy how he just kind of comes over. She's sitting on the other side of the bar at a table with her back to him. Obviously, she wants to be involved with there's, him. There's a, there's a I, would, I would call it interesting, but I found it incredibly jarring. But then when he sits down, there's this really kind of weird, uncomfortable close-up that Michael likes to use in particular moments in this film, which I don't really appreciate. There's a moment where they're all in the in the cafe and they're all having a big conversation, and the opening shot is this weird kind of close-up. It's a close-up with like a really wide lens, like a twelve millimeter or something. So not like all it extends all of the features in the front of the face, and it pulls everything back, and you have this really kind of wide thing. And every time you see it, and we cut to it like immediately, I fucking jumped out of my seat because it's just not it's not a good shot. Overall, I didn't mind that particular shot in this moment because it is the very first time they're seeing each other face to face in a real moment. It's deliberately jarring. Yeah. But it works in this moment. It just didn't work in some of the moments previous where you're kind of just like, whoa, Jesus, fuck. Well, they're having this conversation, but it's it's like a... I don't even know how to explain it. It's like an... Uh, 
oh god, what, why, why can't I do? They're not talking, but it's a like a voiceover. It's it's a choice. Yeah, it was an interesting choice. It's While a you, choice. you're hearing what they're saying, but they're not actually speaking, and then you and then you jump into their conversation. So yeah. it was a little bit weird. But she, anyway, bartender comes over. You know she what? orders a gin and tonic, and he goes, "No, no, you know this isn't." Hold on a second. You know what that moment? No. You know what that moment reminds me of, and I feel you. like it was pinched out of, was Out of Sight. Out of Sight has that scene where George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez are in that bar and it's snowing outside. Is that? I think I think that movie's real good and that's a really good scene, but there are plenty of moments where like it's intercut with like very kind of silent moments where they're like looking at each other, there's a hand touch, someone takes a wee drink, but the conversation continues and it never feels like it stops, but it's never... It's like non-diegetic sound being intercut with all these other moments. And that's really, really good. That's not what happens here. Can I tell them what the drink is now? Whatever. It's the most interesting thing in, in this film, mostly. Well, he says not to order a gin and tonic because that's not the type of place, not the kind of drink that you get in this place. Which also is he... never explained. You never understand why that. No, why I don't know that. why that is. <laughs> it's weird. They use piss. <laughs> <laughs> their gin is piss so you gotta yeah, get something it's, else it's so gin, he it's orders her he orders her a penicillin and i immediately wondered what is that and it's scotch whiskey ginger honey syrup and fresh lemon juice which sounds delightful actually but i thought that was weird because if you're getting a gin and tonic that's kind of um like a diet drink in a way like for for ladies in my opinion, it's like a diet drink where you kind of get your alcohol, but you don't have to have a, like a lot of sugar and a lot of this extra stuff. And then he orders her a drink that has a lot more calories. It's just something I think about. Gin and tonic has, doesn't have a lot of calories. This looks like it does. It's got syrup, honey syrup, ginger, and and alcohol. I'm I'm not I'm I'm all alone. I'm alone on this. Okay. I mean, I mean, sounds like a good drink regardless. But I thought it's kind of gross to take over her order i mean seb ordered it it's probably full of rehypnol yes so you know that doesn't surprise me right well, anyway we're getting we're getting to we're getting to the dick scene so they're drinking their interaction the bar scene's really long and i kind of like zoned out i zoned out quite a fair amount i don't really know what they're talking about she starts telling a story about um was it uh was it jupiter and a donkey. And yeah. a donkey. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm, I'm just like, nope, I'm done. Well, he I'm didn't done like the this. jobs, and he kept going to Jupiter and asking for a different type of job. And, you know, it's like, if you're not happy in this one moment, doing something else isn't going to make you happy. No, they just turned the donkey into a pair of sand. You got to be happy with what you have. Yes, and I was like, yeah, but the donkey can become more than just a pair of sandals. There's but every job there. was was getting progressively worse for the donkey. That was the point. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, so as you might expect, which is kind of was the purpose of this interaction was to get them back to the photo studio. And effectively, what becomes a, a a naked photo shoot, so to speak. Because they see this happening over and over and over again, where you see how he gets these models naked. And it's like, um, I was saying while we were watching the film, it's like what Paul Schrader did in the canyons when Lindsay Lohan didn't want to get naked. And he goes, well, I'll go ahead and just get naked. It'll make you feel more comfortable being naked in front of, in front of the camera or whatever. Except... Paul Schrader wasn't trying to sleep with everybody 
like this guy. So he yeah, Sam, tries to... Sam has an ulterior motive here. Which is the bone zone. So, you know, get her a glass of wine. Oh, hey, what does your bra look like? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'll just take my pants off. And then everyone's naked. Take off your bra. What kind of underwear are you wearing? Well, he's all, yeah, he's also English as well. So it's also kind of creepy. <laughs> the, just the way he says things. Um, yeah, no, they both get they both get uh, naked. The the main issue I have with just this scene in general, and it is the dick scene, and we're kind of good at you know we're we're getting through it slow. Is that yeah, Sweeney, Sweeney? It's what like are you trying to say. I don't know. Like, there's an there's a gross imbalance. You know what I mean? In the movie, in terms of nudity. In terms of nudity, one hundred percent. No, like if you if you hadn't if you hadn't seen if you hadn't seen Sweeney topless up to this point, then you're you're basically getting an eyeful in this film. Um, like I don't have a problem with. Obviously, I don't have a problem with nudity in film, but I do have it. I do have a problem considering the amount of boobs, butt, and bush you see from women in this film, and the only full frontal we get is a half moment, like for a second earlier in the film, you get like a quarter side view when he's throwing away a condom in the bathroom. Yeah, and then in this moment, which is an hour twenty-one minutes and forty-three seconds, and it is a blink and you miss it moment. Pretty much, yeah. Which it's there. You you know, it is there. You see it. You know, you get your full frontal male nudity. But in terms of how they're framing uh, Peppa in this moment, and you also have this man totally naked, it, it is it is imbalanced in, in terms of, of what gets shown. And there are moments, especially, I mean, we can, we'll go back to it in a second, but like when they do have sex, where you have that kind of erotic thriller shots that they're doing where you're mm -hmm. framing the woman yeah. and you are moving up and down her body and you're like the camera is just taking it all in yeah but it's only her that you're taking it all in and i understand this is her journey but also if you're you can't just do that no i don't think you can just do that right now you have no. to it has to be balanced and it's not it is heavily skewed it's heavily kind of almost like borderline misogynistic and i'm going to like start saying things like that now because if you're not man enough to like show the bare naked dude and he is he is naked quote unquote for a lot of the film yes absolutely he is undressed more than he is dressed and at no point do we ever see a full shot of him from the front. And it should be from the window as well, as you're watching them from across the way. You know, it, it, before this moment happens, this time you're actually inside of their apartment, right? But when when Pippa and Thomas are watching them, and they, sh you should be seeing everything. And this is also from a that reason... big wide shot from the other side of the of the This apartment. is also a reason why I think the binoculars are inappropriate is because they are purely there as a tool to close the frame in. Yeah. And when you look at that frame, almost 30% of that frame is this weird like um like binocular shaped like I guess like gobo that's put on the front, which is like it's a slightly more advanced looking thing. It looks like there's like a sheet of glass you can see like the light reflecting off it and stuff. 
But at the same time, you're like, 30% of that screen is taken up with this this gobo for shots that are weirdly close. They don't need to be that close. And it's kind of like, you could have quite easily have pulled the shot out, but I feel like that's because you're trying to... They actively hide this man's junk. And I do not think that this guy has a problem with it at all. From I've I've watched interviews, I've read interviews, and from everything that I've gathered, it it's not an issue, you know. And especially because he's English, that's a that's a typical thing with, you know, English folk. It's it's not as big of a deal. It is what it is. No. And so no. I'm like, what? Where was the choice here? Because it definitely wasn't his choice. But I, and it was it the director's choice, or was it more of in the cutting room where you're like, ah, oh, we can't see this guy's dick too much. But it's a streaming film, so I think that they could have gotten away with a little bit more. There are so many questions I have over the the clarity of this that I just don't, I just don't, I don't get it. I really don't. Like this film has, it wasn't, it didn't have enough mass appeal that it didn't end up in a cinema, and it certainly does not end up in a cinema and it's on a streaming platform i mean it's just i mean unless it's maybe an amazon studios thing where it's like they need to feel as if they are they don't want to take things too too far um because if you're going to keep it in the vein of your late 80s to 90s erotic thrillers there aren't a lot of full frontal male nudity and it and what you get in those is more akin to what you get here where you get kind of side shots glancing views and it's not as as full on but here's here's the thing this was a perfect opportunity to break that mold yes because it's on a streaming platform you can take that rating as far as you want to take it you don't have to stick to the to the conventions of say a 90s rating board where the films were going into mass theatrical exhibition correct so this is where i feel like his 93 page journal kind of falls flat i mean he might as well just throw it in the fire at this point because he's not he's not bringing anything new to the table if this is if this is effectively what this is. I mean, what he is doing is this is a nail that goes into the coffin of the electric of the a lot of the erotic thriller, right? And effectively, that's where it stays. You know, it's going to end up being on your lifetime, like your lifetime films. Like it's going to stay that way for for a long, long time. If this is the reaction that. A man who's like studied all of this, it, seemingly, right? Yeah. But he's not willing to either break the mold or learn from what I would refer to as like the gross mistakes of female representation that's uh, that's in these films. I mean, he's effectively I just agree. repeating the same errors. So I agree. You know, like you have that opportunity, especially for a film called The Voyeurs, to have that wide angle from across the street and these people are doing their thing and that's how people act in their own homes. They are naked a a decent amount of time. You know, um, I'm not, I can't speak for everybody, but I know, (laughs) I know how I am, you know, like you're home. So you're just yourself. um, And you don't always have to wear clothes at home. So to, to not have that and you want to put a sense of realism into this, that's a mistake. 
I mean, it's also that's mis- a big mistake. Yeah, I mean, it's also the biggest mistake we made was that we could feel like this was trying to be realistic because it does it does eventually kind of divulge into uh, nonsense. Effectively, I mean, that's kind of what it what it goes into. But, I, mean, I don't even yeah. know if we necessarily need to break down the whole end of this film. I don't really I, want to, just I because I dis- I dislike it massively. Uh, I wonder how we could wrap it up in a succinct little package. I mean, I just wanted to make sure that like we'd covered everything with the dick scene, but effectively, yeah, there is a shot that kind of that that tilts down when he goes to pick up the camera, and you see you see a a blurred. I kind of I wouldn't say it's a blurry, but it's like a motion blurred shape of his, you know, of his wingus as he picks up the camera. But then also the camera does this other thing where it's like she tells him to go get a condom. He goes to get a condom in this quite large apartment incredibly fast um and uh, <laughs> as he's no putting as he's putting the condom on the camera tilts up very fast yeah. so that when he turns around you don't see anything because obviously you know you would see an erect penis with a condom on it which to me i would feel like that's incredibly brave like there's there's going to be like things that I just, I wish the film did. It just, again, it's like what, what I just said there where it's like, it just, it just dwindles into mediocrity and you're just, you just get incredibly frustrated with it. And there's also this really weird thing. And I wanted to kind of bring it up is that he goes, he goes down on her, right? They're completely naked and they start this, they start their, they start their coital, their coital interaction, right? Yes. And there's a point where it's, it's so weird. And I don't know, I don't know. Oh, I know. I don't know what the sound, like, I don't know what either the sound people were doing or what they were fucking thinking. But it's like when he's going down on her, it's like he's breathing into a mic and he's like. His breath, like, his breath it's like, is much louder it's like, than hers. It's like literally his face, his head and, uh, 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 you know, like, excuse me for being crass, is like right next to her vagina and the sound guy's mic is just between his lips and her <laughs> vagina. And it's like, is that what you were trying to do? I did not notice that because that's the second time I've seen this film. And I didn't notice it the first time. But you are not wrong. It, it is, is very weird. loud. It's like incredibly loud. And it's like, it's not the focus of the moment either. Because no. the focus is on her face as she begins to realize, oh, this is it. I'm going to have sex with him. Whether or not, like, I'm, I'm effectively trying to piece these things together because the film in my head is better than what we watched. But certainly, y- you know, there's an understanding of like, okay, she's got to this moment and realizing that like, yeah, we're going to bone now. Well, it's, yeah, it's the culmination of every fantasy she's had in her head since she moved into that place. Pretty much. Um, but, yeah, I guess, like, how do we wrap this up? There's a few things that happen, and, I mean, the film... By the time they have sex, there's another 40 minutes left, and at least the last 40 minutes is... It is it, it's such a breakneck pace that yeah. it, it's not particularly dull, but it's unintelligible. Because it's a twist after twist after twist after twist after twist. It's like a twist every ten minutes. And it's... It's it's, it's not even like... uh, in, In effect, they've been watching them the whole time. These people The watchers have been watching the watchers. They actually own that loft. I feel like you're even going into more depth than I feel like it deserves. In order to 
put on this uh, this art exhibition. Show. Yeah, I guess so, an art show. So in order to put on this exhibition, they've rented the flat to them to watch them and and just kind of see where it goes. They they know everything that they've been doing because as they've been watching them, they've been watching the other people as well. So everyone's watching each other. Um, uh, Justice hangs himself. Um, he, yeah, he Sweeney, sees the whole Sweeney, sexy stuff. Whoops. Yeah, Sweeney, uh, Sweeney uh, accuses them of foul play and effectively lures them to her uh, optometrist laboratory, which was called Le Optique, and uh, she drugs them and then burns their fucking eyes out of their head. Okay, so <laughs> I have to say that there is a moment where you just accept it, and I was fine with it. She burns their eyes out, eyes without a face is playing. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. It's fucking insane. And it has an end shot that rivals the shot that closes out the departed with the rat, with the binoculars. And she's, we can see her in the eye, in the one lens that's cracked because it gets dropped at one point that has a cracked lens on it. And she turns and she looks and it cuts to black. And I'm like, thank fuck it's over. These people would have been put in prison or sued. All of them would have been, even with the lease. Like, yeah. I didn't even understand it. I'm like, well, hold on. They're like, yeah, well, you signed it without without knowing. I was like, have you ever re- read a terms and conditions? And it's like, yes, but motherfucker, I'm not fucking tapping on a terms of conditions. And I've got someone at my front door being like, uh, yeah, we're here to collect your kidneys. That's not how it fucking works. Right. It's never worked that way. There are certain things in clauses and in contracts that cannot be included in clauses and contracts in certain areas. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, you have to put it in there because it has to be a film. So it's fine. Stupid. And I'll allow it. But, you know, it's silly. And I think that you can push the envelope a little bit. They should have pushed the envelope in terms of the male nudity. But... It's an, it's a gross negligence. Of, that is really bad. Yeah, I'm not yeah. okay with that. It doesn't make any sense. I it's really just... thought it was more when I saw it the first time, but oh well. I think I just get excited when I see the shaft and I go, whoa, there's a penis. <laughs> do you have any other facts? Did this win any I do. awards? I, I do. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we were talking about realism in terms of erotic thrillers, you know, from the 90s and stuff and and... Moen said that he wanted this film to kind of recreate that realism. But um, <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about intimacy coordinators, not too much. But he said, because that's how it is nowadays. You have to have an intimacy coordinator there. And he said that he'd botch a take and he'd be like, that was perfect. And then the intimacy coordinator would turn around and say, oh, I could actually see a gap between their crotches. And then you go, but if, but if you angle them just a bit, it'll look a little bit more like they're having sex. So I thought an intimacy coordinator, okay, hold on. I thought an intimacy coordinator, for me, for me, just made sure that the actors felt comfortable on set with the nudity and and everything else that they felt comfortable, they they knew what they were doing and they weren't being taken advantage of, you know, a la Sharon Stone uh, in Basic Instinct, for example. I mean, yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. But the SAG after definition of an intimacy coordinator is an advocate a liaison between actors and production and a movement coach and or choreographer in regards to nudity and simulated sex and other intimate and hyper-exposed scenes. So they're also there to make sure that it looks 
real. Like they're having intimate moments. Right. So not only are they there to make sure that you don't get taken advantage of and you feel comfortable and you're safe, but that you also look like you're doing it. Yeah. So this simulated moment doesn't look simulated. So that's what, that's what that was like. If I angle them just this way. Then, I mean, then that'll work for the shot. There's a few. There's a few things where, like, this is kind of like there's some there's some moment like the sex scenes in this film. Like some of them just look weird and uncomfortable. Like that moment well, that, where I they're having that's... sex to them having sex. It's kind of yeah. I mean, I think that's just sex. I mean, I guess so. But like, there's. And also in this, in, in like the if you're one trying, that you're If you're trying about, to do that, then you do like what Lars von Trier does in his movies. And it's it's like, no, this is it. This is what it fucking looks like. As opposed to it being like within the framework of the erotic thriller from the 90s where, you know, it's lit a certain way. Like it's done a certain way. Like it's it's a stylistic choice. The things that are going on in these sex scenes. These sex scenes in this movie are like incredibly well lit. You're kind of just like, you're kind of just looking at it and you are like, yeah, they're just having sex. There's no sense of like sensuality or romanticism or like, at least within the framework of the erotic thrillers that I like, like there's a sense of like danger you cannot compare the sex that happens in this movie to like what happens in Basic Instinct or even fucking Fatal Attraction. And Fatal Attraction is probably one of the best sex scenes that's ever been committed to film. It's like, like when, over they're the having, sink? when they're having sex in the they're fucking just, kitchen. And then they're just wiping water all over each other's faces. Yeah. Yeah. But that but that's different because that is the that's the nineties in you know, like the eighties and the nineties, you've got a lot of smoke. Uh, there's always some sort of sexy breeze. Everyone's wet. Uh, you, especially like your neo-noir erotic thrillers where it's sweaty. You've got your sweaty thrillers, I you think know, like body nothing, heat. There is nothing but wrong with that. You absolutely not. Those are perfect films, but this is different because it has to be lit that way just because of what it is. You have to have it bright because they have to be able to see it and it, you have to be able to, it's like a beacon like, look, look, look at us. So that's fine. It is what it is. It's, it's not going to be that sexy, smoky shit. Um, it just doesn't have, it just doesn't have the same level of appeal. And that's fine. And I it's kind of, it also, to me, it's kind of more like, um, it's like, why, like, why are you finding this appealing to watch while also trying to have sex yourself? Like, it would be. It's just, it may it might just be for me, but then also like I'm not able in the films in the framework of the film to make the association between like the voyeurism as a kink, or the voyeurism as like this this story like this drive for the story like it just there's no like there's no level of association for me to be like okay this is why this is happening it's like why is this like happening. Um, so one last thing I have to say before we, we wrap up with the ratings and everything yes. is we were talking about the, uh, unequal, uh, unequality, like the difference between how much male nudity and how much female nudity there is. Um, and Sydney Sweeney was talking to the independent and said that there's a stigma against actresses who get naked on screen and address the kind of double standard in Hollywood that allows men to be praised for nude scenes and women are often reprimanded. But I don't, I don't agree with her there necessarily. Um, I know that there has been a kind of backlash for certain actresses or actors 
who have We've gotten... covered it on this podcast as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, in the Cut, for example, is oh, a, is a time, huge yeah. one. Aye. But um, there's a lot of actors who have been nude and gotten like heavily awarded, you know, um, for different roles that they've been in. And like like Kate Winslet, for example, in The Reader. Yeah. Charlize Theron in Monster. Yeah. Um, Holly Berry. Yeah. Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's not like it's, it, it's like an end of a career thing or you get in trouble for it. I think it just depends on the role, depends on the film. And, yeah. and, also, and it's would, the same for men, you know, that men have that same situation, but it's not always like men get applauded for getting naked. No, no. But they don't do it as often. I mean, I watched a video recently of Heath Ledger um, being posed a very difficult question about the uh, the gay love story elements of Brokeback Mountain being disgusting. Um, and it's it's kind of like he's put in a position to then have to justify the definition of what love is. So to me, I feel like a lot of the backlash comes from, I mean, it comes from, uh, it's like white conservatism, primarily male. And it's like, you know, they just don't agree with certain things being done a certain way. And it's only a certain sect of society that I feel like that criticism's coming from. Um, So... You know, it just depends on how loud that criticism becomes on a moment-for-moment basis. Now, yeah, I guess, like, she's kind of saying that, like, women are, you know, women are treated differently than men. And, like, I guess that's kind of one of the purposes of this of this podcast and what we're trying to do is that there's a there has to be a level of balance. And I think it really comes down to a filmmaker-by-filmmaker basis, as I feel like some filmmakers are a little bit more aware of it than others in this occasion i feel like if you're not creating a balance and you're primarily focused on female nudity for the most part when really there are plenty of opportunities for you to be a little more equal in that bias especially when you're focusing on this woman who's obsessing kind of specifically on this man and you're not and he is naked over there yeah a lot yeah but you never see it and also, it's kind of like, if you don't show it, why, why is the audience going to then believe that he's, like, this desirable individual? There's no sense of, like, yeah. sexually, like, where is she going with this in her head? Like, to us, the audience, I'm like, well, the guy's a cheat. He's a fucking scumbag. Like, he's fucking his models. Like, I'm not, there's no level of, like, comprehension for why she would find that attractive but the main issue i have with like this inequality with the nudity in the film and this is with any film that focuses primarily on female as opposed to male is it's just like potentially a little bit misogynistic like it's you're just kind of gazing at the woman and that's effectively all you're all you're doing and it's kind of like this level of control which i don't we don't really like talking about like on this podcast and we'll we'll laud are the films that 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 decide like you know short bus i think is a very good example and i also think that uh you know films that we've covered in like the gay cinema vein James also kind of do that ivory yeah like the man where you feel like it's just a little bit more of a balance and it's a little bit more realistic as a result of that so you know for me you know it, 
it's it's like uh, my main issue I have with this film is that yeah, it's yes. like well, it's just like it's like you feel it's a little bit exploitative of the female performers. In the well, film. if you especially if you're putting a film out there and it's and you want to portray the female gaze, this film did not do that. No. When you're watching a film that is meant to be the female gaze, like a yeah. pawn, and 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 you're not. It's through a male. It's a male gaze. Male yeah. men. It's men. It's men. It's a male filmmaker who also wrote it, and it's. Uh, and I appreciate. You know. I still. Uh, whatever. I'm gonna go into my ratings first, and then I'll say my final thoughts. Yeah. But because uh, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm done too. So, in terms of visibility and context, I think as we've mentioned in the breakdown of the penis scene, that is a one. Yeah. For me, because it is short, swift, blink, and you'll miss it. You gotta pause it. I th- I think that we. I'm glad that we did this film because we could kind of break down why that's a problem. I appreciate that it's there, but it is fleeting at best. Yeah. Um, we needed way more to balance this bad boy out. Um, and I'll, do you mind if I just do my film rating? Yeah, go on then. I don't know how much more I'll land. I mean, yeah, maybe we just give our final words now. Two and a half. Two and a half is my film rating. I okay. actually had a three because I do think it gets a little wild at the end and it and things happen that you don't expect to happen, which I think is interesting because you it does follow a line throughout mo- like an hour and a half, at least through the film. But then I, I don't like when you have kind of that third act turn that's completely crazy and you don't really get to like relish it. You don't get to enjoy it as much. It just keeps flip, flip, flipping. Um, and I find that a little bit annoying, but I I do like how weird it gets at the end. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. I completely cannot agree with you about the ending and stuff like that. Like it's <laughs> it gets so weird that it just becomes a little nonsensical and like logic kind of goes completely out of the window. There is a, yeah. There is a complete lack of logic within the storytelling, and I feel like obviously it's written to not have a level of logic, which I think some films can get away with. Um, in terms of the context, the visibility, I would go even further because I just don't like the lack of it and I do not like how it is contextually within the scene. I just I just dislike it in, intently. Um, I mean, you say a one, you do see it a little bit more, but the thing is, is like it's so quick, I'm going to even say it's like a half star. Okay. Um, because... This film contextually, I just don't, I don't fully believe that they had a handle on what sort of story they were telling and the thematic concerns of certainly calling a film The Voyeurs, I don't feel like they have a grasp of what voyeurism actually is. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little bit, I'm a little bit confused by that, um... And because of that, I feel like the film goes down some roads that you're just, like, wondering what is going on. And other than it being, like, an auditory assault and you feel like you're just being commented on the entire time that you're watching it. Um, I mean, I gave the film initially about a one and a half because there is some nice line delivery. And (laughs) uh, some of the cinematography is nice. But I'm willing to drop it even further to a one just purely based on some of the things that we're talking about where it's a film about a woman's perspective of how she's watching a man from across the way and this kind of sexual realization that she's going through 
then effectively what we're kind of subjected to is an exploitation of not only her character, but certainly an exploitation of her her particular kink and her interest that's taken so far yes. that like it beggars belief and effectively the film becomes a commentary on not only like kink shaming, but certainly a comment a commentary on how I guess just how easily people can be exploited for what they're interested in and it's just so backwards in its approach that I'm like it comes across as mildly offensive and I think it's more offensive in the fact that like I I think it's 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 a poorly written story oh my God. <laughs> I think Sweeney's not given what she she should be expecting and um yeah, it's a one-star movie for me. If this is the revival of the erotic thriller, I think he needs to pass the the, the mantle to somebody else and let them have a go. He's already uh, started writing the sequel, so I'm not interested in it. I I I like the intent here, um, uh, but I do. It I feels ha- ill-advised. I have. Uh, I I maybe expect a little bit more. Give Misguided. me. Give me, oh god, I was about to do another like. Let's get more women directing these and writing these um, erotic thrillers. But then you're going to bring up Jane Campion and say that she dropped the ball. So let's not even go into that. Yeah. So there we have it. That was a ride uh, coming to you from Bar Le Royale. Mm. I have been Laura. Don't have the gin and tonics. It's basically piss. That's right. <laughs> and we'll 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 freaking see you next time. We've got something else coming that's better than <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, we actually next have time. yeah, we have a much better film coming that's, A wonderful yeah. comparison film. Yes. Companion it's about piece. films. It's about yeah, it's another film about someone watching someone and inserting themselves into their life. And uh it's got a proper it's got a proper male nude scene in it. <laughs> so Yeah. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. <laughs>